Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. You've toned down the sexy. Wow. Well, you always kind of cut me off now. Yeah, yeah I know. How I do think... people know who we are? Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. Only you? got a whole season and a half worth of episodes to figure this that out. This could be their first episode. It could be somebody's first episode, and, and they're tuning out right now. Hopefully it is someone's first episode, it would that's be really the idea nice. of like momentum and things. But Anyway. If it is your first episode, welcome, and I'm sorry for cutting things off. So anyway, I am Johnny. And I'm Callum. Um, he's the one that butts in. and All uh, the time. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, um, we have this little film podcast where every week we talk about two movies, one old, one new, with some form of connection. And there's a way that people can sometimes find out what we're going to be talking about each week, can comment on that, if they've seen the film, what their thoughts are, can also message us um, about uh, other things, anything they want really, as long as it's not, please, would you like us to promote you for probably money? on this sham Instagram account. But yeah, where, where are these places that people can find us, Callum? Well, if you go to Facebook or Instagram, and it's Untitled Film Podcast, one word, and there you'll find us. We do hints for the next episode and we make a post about the new episode that's just come out and you can comment if you've seen the film. Uh, even if you haven't, just uh, come by, say hello, say, you know, I heard you. You're the one that cut him off. Exactly. Sometimes we throw out questions on there when we're feeling very adventurous. A bit saucy and we need to start that again, actually. It'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that is how you contact us and we do like that. So please contact us and also feel free to share us with the people. This is not a closed community it's very open tell your friends tell your family 
tell that enemy of yours and maybe you'll make a friend. And also, where can people listen to us now? Because obviously you might be listening on Spotify or iTunes or Desert or any of these kind of pocket cast. But there's a new place that we've only done for a few weeks where people can find us now. Where's that? You should go to YouTube. You'll find us on YouTube. We've uploaded our episodes there. We're also re-uploading our old episodes thanks to Mixmaster Rob. He's making us sound all lush and beautiful and amazing with those old episodes, the ones that we uh, mixed ourselves, perhaps didn't. And yeah, lots of cool, 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 exciting things happening there. Absolutely. I think we're pretty much up to date with them now. I think there might be maybe one more that he's doing, but yeah. Anyway, go back and have a listen. So uh, that, I think, brings us nicely on to the next part of our podcast, which is the news um, it's quite a lot of film news this week, I think, after it's been a lot of kind of taken up by award season. Now that's gone, finished, finito for the year, or until kind of the end of the year. It's into the ether. Um, so, yeah, what what piece of newserificness have you found this week, Callum? Well, I have a double dose of Tommy Wiseau news. Oh, you shit, I was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but there are two bits, so you maybe you'll have one bit, and maybe you'll be able to get one of my bits... In fact, I pro- you probably will, depending on which one I choose first. So let's see which one you choose first. So first bit of Tommy Wiseau news is that there's a new Tommy Wiseau film coming out called Big Shark. And the trailer's just dropped. I think actually, maybe for people out there, who's Tommy Wiseau? Well, Tommy Wiseau is the guy that made The Room, which some people incorrectly call the worst movie of all time. I mean, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's pretty awful, actually. Uh, but it has its charms and it's been celebrated. It? Charms, accidental charms. Yeah, I, I, completely. So obviously, like charms. just to just to, to go on a tangent. Obviously, Ed Wood. People always say he's the worst director of all time. But I think with Ed Wood, he had some basic understanding of the craft of filmmaking, and he had some basic. Not un- much. I mean, not a lot. He gave it a good go, though. Like he, it's a film camera in you know black, you know a black and white film camera is quite hard to light. Things were lit properly. You did have some people who had a mild acting ability, on the, like Bella Lugosi on the stage sometimes. And, you know, I think give There's, Edward his juice. And I think Edward really gave a shit about films, whereas I don't think Tommy Wise oh, does. Oh, no, he absolutely doesn't. So any charms they have are completely incidental and uh, accidental. And, uh, yeah, so Big Shark trailer's just come out. And this is a bit of an odd one because, of course, people are in on the joke now. So you get acting in the trailer which is awful but is very much a <laughs> I'm in a Tommy Wiseau film very kind of but mugging it, to it the camera. It did look like Tommy Wiseau style acting though. It looked like the way they speak with each other the very one note very one tone like where's and bad where's Anderson almost kind yes, of like dialogue it kind stiff. of had that vibe about it. It does. It's not my, it doesn't give a lot away let's be honest. No it doesn't. I assume um, it's kind of like a mega shark kind of thing. I expect so it looks like um, is it New Orleans trailer set in and it floods and in come the sharks, which, you know, it's not a great plot. But there is some awareness from some of the incidental... Because, of course, they know who Tommy Wiseau is at this mm. point. And then the trailer takes a weird left turn at the end when it starts advertising Tommy Wiseau's... New underwear range. New underwear range. <laughs> because that's know, how he right. made his millions, yeah. is by selling knockoff clothes. There's a lot of people in America that have, like, these shoddy-looking um, kind of shop fronts. But probably due to some weird tax loopholes and and things that they know people are always going to buy that kind of crap. 
they know that they can make quite a lot of money doing it. He's one of those weird well, apparently he had some entrepreneurs. Like, giant warehouse down in San Francisco just full of clothing. Yeah. Because there was all these, that was obviously, I mean, the strange thing about the the room is I think it cost something like $6 million it to make. Like it had a really he, surprisingly large budget. Well, he shot it both on digital and <clears throat> film because he couldn't tell the difference. Well, no, it wasn't that. He wanted to see, he, the idea was, so they had two sets of cameras. One was meant to be like, because he went and bought this, this film company that's quite a famous one that sells all the cameras, the various cameras and things in, in LA um, and sells it to all the big productions and things. But they do like for, for independent movies, say packages where you go and buy the gear. Or you rent out. Or the, rent the, it. The, the, but he the bought it. Yes. That was the whole thing. Like he kept coming and buying it and they were like, what is this guy doing? I don't care. Just because they let him use their back lot for yes, free. Because there's, um, so there's, there's a lot of uh, insights in The Disaster Artist, the book written by Greg yeah. Sestero who isn't in this film. I think Greg is desperate to get out from that mm. shadow because it's a very um, codependent relationship because it, Greg's wealth is wrapped up in the existence of Tommy Wiseau. Although one would assume he's made a reasonable amount of money from the book slash movie now. You'd think. And then that got usurped and turned into Tommy, Tommy Wiseau's Wiseau story. Which he does seem to be very good at doing. He's, he is a manipulator. He's a, mm. sort of a vampiric figure. But anyway, I'm, you know... Gone on about this, but it's but yeah. for quite a bit longer but, but than I, usual. But, but also, what I was, but what I was, my my point was, um, anyway, was he he was doing that, and he decided that he, they, so he, one of the things he bought, he bought the like a behind the scenes package it was meant to be like them filming how they made it, and he was like didn't quite understand that, so instead he set both cameras next to each other and recorded it on digital and film at the same time. There's a lot of strange things that went on in that production. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that's where his wealth came from. Um, was that the Tommy Wiseau story that you were going to do? Yes. Ah. What's the other piece you were going to do then? Should I just get it out of the way no, now? because you... I was going to do both the okay. underwear and the Well, and the there film. is going to be a uh, remake of The Room for Charity, starring Bob Odenkirk as Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> Um, so it's for a uh, charitable cause. I'm just going to get the is name. Is it going to be like online or something? Or is it going to be complete? I think it is because it's a full green screen remake, which is quite right. like The Room because a lot of it was on green, green screen. screen. And yeah, yeah. Um, he's not in costume. He's not wearing a long wig or anything. There are, there's a couple of pictures have been released. He's just dressed as Bob Odenkirk. But apparently he's trying to really sell sell the lines. And it is for a company called Acting for a Cause. So... They put on a lot of these sort of um, L.A. script readings and, you know, I, I think they may have been partly involved with that remake on, uh, I think it was Tubi, uh, of The Princess Bride. Right. Um, so, And they do a lot of things for charity where they get a bunch of famous people to have a bit of a lark, have a bit of a, a game and um, make a little bit of money in, for some cause. I'm not sure what exactly they're raising money for. Uh, the article doesn't seem to go into that, but I think they're a charity that... They don't necessarily have a cause. It's so in so much as that they'll set up a new fun project for a different thing. So I think the Princess Bride one was um, COVID relief, and uh, this one I think is something different. But Bob Odenkirk, they quite often do for that kitchen thing, don't they? Because that's yes. what they did. Um, uh, they did the community read and stuff. Yes, that. yes, they did. Yes, they, they do a lot for that, and they do. They seem to do a lot of good work, and they seem to get a lot of fun people involved. Absolutely. Well, after you've stolen my piece of news... That was uh, my double dose of Tommy Wiseau. Um, 
my piece of news is there is a trailer for an exciting new movie about the creation of BlackBerry, the mobile phones. Yeah, I've seen that. It looks fun. It's Glenn Howerton and uh, Jay Bruchel, both actors that I really like. It, the trailer looks pretty interesting. Um, for those who don't know, the basics of the BlackBerry story is that they had very quick and sudden success. Uh, and then the iPhone came along and they had quick and sudden decline um, as a business. And they, yeah, it's quite, quite. I suspect, quite an interesting interesting formative story which is in uh, i found they, they, they're doing a few of these kind of weird slightly techie biopics this year because you've also got the tetris one coming out yeah with, that looks fun too it does look very fun um they could obviously i suppose in the in very much in the shadow of the social network i suspect that maybe in a later podcast this year we might do the social network with one of these two movies i think david fincher has a lot to answer for in fact we'll probably be talking a bit about david fincher today yeah, uh, quite possibly. Quite, quite possibly. possibly. Who can say? Anyway. We will be. <laughs> I don't think we will. Okay. <laughs> sure. And if you do, I'll turn your microphone off. <laughs> but that's not better. This might be part of the review. <laughs> anyway, on that bombshell. Um, yeah, I think that's the news, unless you've got anything more to no, add. No, no. Uh, actually, I do think uh, that Glenn Howard tonight, he's gone quite extreme for that, hasn't he? He's shaved his head. Yeah. And he's got this... I, it took me a while to realise it was him for the longest time. I thought it was like one of those old character actors going, where do I know that old character actor from? And it turned out it was Glenn Howerton. Absolutely. Anyway, on to the meat of our podcast... And potatoes. And potatoes, which is our movie reviews. So, what is our first movie this week, Callum? The first movie is going to be Boston Strangler, which just came out on Disney+. Plus. Um, not to be confused with The Boston Strangler, which was the film also based on this real-life set of crimes that came out in the mid-60s with, uh, I believe it was Tony Curtis, Although there is a little clip of them making that movie in this movie. So that's one with uh, a the in the start. This one's just Boston Strangler. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to, shall I go tell, tell the story of oh, this should one? Should we uh, set up what the, that's what I mean, preparing yeah. the movie? Shall I, shall I, do you want me to do that? Yeah, sure. Right, well. So, Boston Strangler. All of a sudden in Boston in the year, I want to say 1962 because I'm reading the plot synopsis. <laughs> uh, there was some people started dying under strange circumstances. And very quickly, the police, unbeknownst to the world, had started to notice that these people kept being strangled with like some, not string, is it? What would you call it? Lace? With some, some form, of, from, form of fabric. And it would get tied into a bow, which I suppose means that the same person is quite possibly doing it. So, along comes a reporter. Her name is Loretta McLuglin. Luglin? Dynamite stuff, this. Loretta McLuglin. And she, she starts to think, there's all these women, they're being strangled. Maybe there's something here. And she goes off on an intrepid adventure to find out who is the Boston Strangler. Very well set up. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> um, Callum, what did you think of Boston Strangler? Well, to uh, take a parlance, uh, a catchphrase almost, I liked it. 
Um, <laughs> without using the word David Fincher as well. Without using... God. <laughs> well, that's going to be hard. Okay, so that's the challenge of this review then. Okay, so I'll lay off that for a second because um, before going into style and filmmaking techniques... And substance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we kind of have to talk about how there is a certain type of press movie press or police movie where you'll get lots of clacking of keyboards you'll get people keyboards in 1962 oh, sorry of uh, typewriters That's and you'll, like you'll get uh, edit, a crusty old editor coming out and going where's my article you can't write stories about that you're not a crime writer go and write those women pieces woman kira knightley reporter woman and you know this cliche upon cliche upon cliche however <laughs> if you enjoy those particular set of cliches, those press movie cliches of people banging their fists on tables, and it's and what I like to call off. I've, I, this is my genre. I've coined office thriller. Yes, yes, office thriller. So lots of people in rooms or in boardrooms or in press offices, kind of yelling at each other, and in with very much sort of a "you can't handle the truth" kinds of um, speeches. If you are charmed by those particular set of cliches, which, to be honest, I am to a point, <laughs> then you're not going to have a bad time with this. In fact, you're going to, you know, of that particular particular group of cliches, you're going to probably enjoy this. It, and it's bolstered by the fact that you have Kira Knightley and Carrie Coon in the two leading roles as, as the two female reporters who sort of broke the case, especially Kira Knightley, who's the one that... that um, finds, you know, she plays Loretta and uh, makes the link. And then Carrie Coon is the sort of more seasoned reporter that sort of shows her the ropes of how to be a uh, investigator, uh, investigative journalist, damn it. Uh, such a tongue, tongue twister word. Investigative journalist. And, get invest and then you have, <laughs> you have Chris Cooper playing the editor. And that's not a bad time. You know, any time in those people's company, it's going to be a good time. Like the other, a few weeks ago, we were talking about them. Um, Daisy Ridley making her big stab for being a serious actor and how she had like something like eight or nine projects in some form of post-production or pre-production. She's clearly going for a Kira Knightley-type revival because to be an actress who made her name in a franchise for being a posh girl, it, you don't have a great lot of, lot of range put out in front of you. And she's tried her damnedest to break that stereotype. And this is another role, another feather in her cap, which kind of proves that. There's also a fantastic performance by an actor whose name I won't spoil, although annoyingly I've seen a lot of reviews that have spoiled it because if it's about a serial killer and they're trying to hold off that identity, you know, for the review to name, oh, and this actor, but you'll know that actor when they show up. You've seen that actor You've liked that actor in a lot of things, but I'm not going to say who it is because that then it sort of gives the game away. Although it is about a historical case. It is about a historical case. So how but much? I, I just want to sort of leave that bit alone, no. you know, just in case. So. And so now, you know, with the cliches aside, we know that it's sort of like you can't handle the truth kind of stuff. Stylistically, it is very much like the aforementioned filmmaker whose name we won't mention when you go back to his um, depictions of historical cases of serial killers, both with Mindhunter and Zodiac, um, stylistically, this is very much biting off that apple. It has very green, grey cinematography, very still, manicured camera work. The mise-en-scene is very much attempting. But if there's a problem here with, the Boston, with um, Boston Strangler, Nova, um, is that if I found it felt very... 
safe. It felt very, you know, um, respectful. Like, um, <clears throat> I wanted to see a little bit more gristle because I didn't really... Like, whenever you saw the depictions of the Boston Strangler doing his, you know, murdering people, there was lots of pans to the reflection in the television or pans outside the room. And I just felt it it seemed a little bit overly concerned with, oh, we're on TV. We're, oh, we're on Disney Plus in the UK. Better go for the, you know, low 15, not high 15. It felt like it was very overly concerned with being safe and nice. And it did sanitize it a bit for me. But overall, my opinions are fairly high. Um, I, I thought it, you know, a bit too tasteful though it was. You had good performances bolstering cliches, which are for some people, quite welcome cliches, especially for me. What, what did you think? I don't think I liked it as much as you did. Okay. Um, I think it was it, it was passable. It's, you know, a couple of hours. Um, yeah. I, I think the first half is quite boring. I thought it took quite a long time to really get into its stride and get going. Um, and there was a lot of it was really cliched. There was it wasn't like, you know, there's certain thing if there's certain things you have to do to make an office scene cinematic, and that's fair enough. I don't mind people doing that, but I think in its storytelling, it was incredibly cliched. And in that whole, me and Callum always have a joke. There was I can't remember what the film's called, but there was a film about um, Eddie Redmayne and and who I can't Felicity Jones, yeah, Felicity Jones going in a balloon. And there was all in the, in the trailer. We've never seen it because it looks shit. Um, but in the trailer, there's a person being like um, a woman in a balloon. A and woman it, in a balloon. And, <laughs> and it is just a bit like it's a bit by numbers that a woman covering a murder. She went down to the that bar and used her womanly ways to get that information out of that cup and stuff. And it was. Just, I just thought that was all very. I mean. <laughs> Maybe it's true. Certainly true. I suspect that's probably how people were treated. But it just, it was. It, I think there's there's smarter ways and more realistic ways to do that. I think it was just very like ham-fistedly written. Then once you got going and, and it started, you started to actually like the characters a bit more, and it started to come together. And maybe got a bit less cliched. In, certainly from like a pure two-dimensional character point of view. Then it started to get going in the second half. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of enjoyed the second half, but the first half I was quite bored. I was kind of waiting for it to end. Going back to kind of the Fincher point, I completely agree. Obviously, the director of this has seen Zodiac. He oh, fucking yeah. loves Zodiac. <laughs> Clearly. Um, but the thing with Fincher and the thing with his genius is people, you know, he's cold and he uses these blue and brown and grey colour palettes and whatever you say, but he is incredibly smart with how he uses these things. So his use of, like, blood on these grey and black backgrounds, his use of kind of clothing and 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 things to kind of change the change the scene and change the mood, his kind of very slow stilted camera work then suddenly cuts to fast camera work because he wants to show you something or he's very very carefully moving the camera around so you see something you know that's going to be important later but you don't necessarily know what it's going to be about or you move, he moves the camera around to someone's face to show them what the person's thinking or suddenly the camera whips to the left because something important has happened and you know all that kind of stuff and whereas this just kind of uh, is no, it's almost like when we were talking about Michael Bay and Pain and Game where he's gone oh I love that f- the shot and I love that shot and it's almost like I love how David Fincher l- 
movies look, but not understanding why David Fincher's movies look like that. Yeah, I, th- I think there's uh, a lot to be said about that because um, I think, like you're saying, um, David Fincher is very slow and manicured, mm-hmm. but then then there'll be something very shocking. There'll be a whip pan, or yeah, or you or, say yeah, or someone will see something and. Or in, it, in the way it's edited, so well thought out, and it will depict some sort of graphic violence in a way that sort of very kind of jolts you. Mm-hmm. Whereas this just felt very well behaved. It was yeah. manicured, manicured, manicured. It felt TV. It, it very much effectively. Did. I suppose it was to an extent, although it did have some very good character actors in it. Um, Kira Knightley was serviceable. Um, she wasn't anything stunning. I thought. Um, I thought some of the the kind of. The secondary actors were, were better. I thought Carrie Coon. I thought Carrie Coon was excellent. excellent. And I also thought, and I forgot his Alexandra, Alexandra, the, the, the cop. The... Oh, yes. Yes, no, I, I know who you mean. Also, it's been a while since I've seen uh, Chris Cooper in a film. I really like Chris Cooper. He plays the same character over and over again. But he does that thing like, a, you know, blustery, but by God, I think he's starting to soften on these gals, yeah. you know? He has that... You know, he does that sort of uh, protective dad Nivola. thing. Alessandro yeah, Nivola. yeah, he's great. He, he was very good. A lot of a, a lot of things, and of course, the performance by mm, yeah. spoiler. Yeah, and the, you know, there's another there's a, another kind of Bill Camp and various other kind of reasonable yes. character actors in it, but no one's kind of. I don't feel like anyone's going. This is my life's work. This is going to be must be. So when you watch like Zodiac, you're like, okay, this is a master at work. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's quite lazy. I think it is the first half is boring. I'm going to put that and use the B word. It does kind of stick the landing, which kind of makes me think I get more, you know, more enamoured with it from that. I like I like a movie that can stick a landing. Um, it looks alright. Doesn't look anything special. Um, and like yeah, like you say, it kind of felt like it was being well behaved. So they can put that on a plane. That could be on TV. Yeah, that exactly. Could be on Disney I, Plus. I, I wanted to see, you know, like yeah, I want to see murder, uh, but it's not that so much. It's that if you're going to make a story like this, you need to have push and pull. You need, mm. you need to have a, a bit of grit or, or and tension. Otherwise, it, and if you're going to try and make it look gritty and stuff, exactly. It, if you're going to go for that style, you may as well try and find what makes that style so exceptional. Uh, otherwise you just have a film that looks kind of washed out yeah and a bit ugly yeah it does and i think that's it i don't think there's no care shown to the color palette it's just someone's gone in um in a in whatever software they use to to final cut it's probably final cut now and uses final cut after effects or something well yeah now it would be artifacts because that's supposed to be i think think we're whatever piece of software that they are using to direct to edit this movie um they've just gone brown remove color it just doesn't look that it's not done well it's not done excitingly it's not it's done it's in, done in post-production it just yeah I, I don't know i i wasn't that enamored by it It had its moments but i wasn't that enamored by it that didn't uh charm you did not charm me uh, that's that's interesting yeah i think i've got i i and i like these films i'm a, I'm a sucker for this kind i know of movie. i thought i kind of thought that maybe you would kind of um be giggling at all the kind of you can't handle the truth Woman writing an article, write me a perfume piece, huh, woman? I've just written you the biggest crime story. You know what, woman? I'm starting to like you, kid. Well, I kind of was, but I kind of found it cringe as well. Yeah, I guess I can see that. No, I can see that. Yeah, it's the same with like, it's, it's almost the same as like white saviour stuff. Like, it's just cringe. Like, you know, it's, it's maybe, it's, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. With good intentions and I kind of feel certainly. like the first half of this movie has a bit of that vibe about it. Well, it is entirely that. And yeah, so no, not 
Uh, <laughs> you'll see when I see the score, but I probably am sounding harsher on it than the score I'm going to give it. But I just, I wanted to be, it's the kind of film that with a few tweaks, with a bit of tightening on the script and a, someone who's a bit of a better colour editor of editing it and Kira Knightley doing a slightly better accent could have been Something watchable, really possible. quite special. Could have been yeah. seven or eight out of ten when it's not. Have you got any more you want to add to it? No, I think, I think that's it for Boston Strangler. Well, I think that takes us to an advertisement break. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And we are back. Well, I'd buy that for a dollar. Oh, for fuck. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, So. (laughs) Is it time for the magic again? It is time for the magic. We are going to be now talking about the, I want to say 1994? No, actually, I thought it was mid-90s as well. And then I looked it up, 99. Same year as The Matrix. Wow. The 1999 hit, hit, the 1999 movie, I'm going to say, Summer of Sam. Well, Summer of Sam is set in the uh, summer of 1977. And the streets of New York is being stalked by the um, 44 caliber. I almost forgot his uh, name because he has two names in the film. The 44 caliber killer who kills couples and women with shoulder length brown hair. Um, any true, uh, true, true crime fans will know this story quite well. He's one of the biggies. Um, Son of Sam was stalking the streets of New York. And Spike Lee directs a portmanteau type tale where there's several different stories going on which all intersect with the fear and Just paranoia about. yeah uh, fear and paranoia happening in these times and the main two being adrian Brody's sort of young punk character who's a, a you know a sex worker by night and by day he lives in his mum and dad's garage he's a bit of a wastrel and then you have uh, john leguizamo's character who is having Lots of affairs with his uh, his wife and is kind of going slowly insane because he thinks that during one of his trysts with uh, one of his floozies, he saw the uh, um, 44... Ca- oh, I forget his name again. Son of Sam. The son, the, yes, son, son of killer. Sam, um, 44 caliber killer. He thought he saw him and now he's get unraveling thinking that he's going to be next on the list. So, Johnny, what did you think of Summer of Sam? 
Well, it's a mess. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, it is a real mess. It was kind of, it makes more, in a way it makes more sense, it was 99. It was kind of when Spike Lee had started to unravel a bit and his films started to to get baggy, like, put it this way, it's no do the right thing. Like, it, the films had started to get baggy. He is obviously quite a high concept. Um, but, yeah, it... it, it, it uh, it, it is a mess. Um, I think pretty much all the acting is very well done. I really liked Adrian Brody and John... Uh, Leguizamo. Leguizamo. I like John Leguizamo, actually. I always quite liked him. I think that was kind of... That was a good period of him, actually, because it was... It was um, uh, Romeo that was, plus that was and his, stuff. his era, really. Yeah, exactly. And he... he I think is the probably Well, him and Ben, they're both good. And a lot of the, the kind of supporting cast of excellent... Um, it... It's it's an interesting one because it's kind of it's a bit it's almost like a coming of age summer movie, but set to the backdrop of somebody going around and and murdering people all over New York, uh, which is quite strange and the kind of paranoia that brings and um, and and it could have been such a really it's quite a cool concept, but I think that unfortunately the stories of those two main characters that are kind of interlinked together maybe don't hold up as well as they need to to make the story work it also kind of felt quite strange and interlinked at points and it didn't really connect together so all the way through it you've got these shots of either the murders happening or um of sam going slowly insane in his apartment, but it's just him in his apartment shouting at a dog out of a window, which, for those that don't know about the Son of Sam killer, he initially said that he was driven insane by the neighbour's dog, who was actually the son of the devil, or the devil speaking to him, and the dog was called... I think the owner was called Sam. The dog was called something else, but that's why it was Son of Sam, because he would write in these letters, I'm I'm doing this because of the Son of Sam, or something like those... Um, along those lines. And it's got a really weird, like a couple of really weird moments where, um, uh, uh, what's his name? John... John Leguizamo. Yeah, no, no, not John Leguizamo. Um, oh, his name's gone out of my head. Da, 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 da. One sec, I have... This is great radio. Um, bit to edit, I think, Rob. No, leave it in. <laughs> leave it in, leave it in. Uh, John Turturro. Yes, John Turturro. John Turturro voices the dog. He does. Which... In the most nonchalant style. Yeah, and it, but only for like 10 seconds as well, which kind of doesn't make sense. But then at the end of it, it says, which is fact, oh, he said that he'd made up speaking to the dog. So why was that in there if you're supposed to be believing the story? And then at the end, it's kind of... It, both ends of it are, are kind of bookended by like this news report that's looking back on the summer of Sam. And then also Spike Lee kind of is randomly inserted himself in as like a, a news, news reporter in like Harlem. But that again has no real relevance to the film. It's quite baggy and all over the place. But, big but, it's, I think it's got heart and it kind of is one of those like films where it, it's shot for the stars. It's it's not got there for sure, but I can't, I kind of like this chutzpah and I, I think it's quite enjoyable to watch. What about you? Oh, very much the same, actually. Um, I, well, firstly, we know by now that I really like these films where they take a big swing. I like my island of misshapen toys of films. This is not a complete success, but like you say, it does... <laughs> not a complete success is a bit of an understatement. <laughs> yeah. It does shoot for the moon um, and... You know, I, I you can't not admire a film that does that. Uh, also, you do have excellent performances. I thought especially John Leguizamo. I, yeah, he's I kind excellent. of found myself thinking, why wasn't he, like, the most in-demand leading mm-hmm. man? 
because he was usually a supporting player. But he was player. always good when he was in things, and he then is. he kind of ended up doing like sitcoms and stuff, didn't he? he kind of I like think fell he, was out. A, he was a comedian first, and then yeah. actor second, so maybe he didn't want to do dramatic acting to a point. Um, and one comparison is do the right thing, because they both have a similar sort of setup, broiling tensions during summer, um, one because of sort of uh, racial injustice and one because of the paranoia that uh, a serial killer brings out. And both are sort of a portmanteau style mm-hmm. stories where you see little little stories. Because I mentioned two of the stories. There's about four or five. But they are by far the two main But they ones. are by far the two but main ones. The other ones. ones are kind of like secondary stories that are just designed to glue into them. Very much so. They're, they are the leads. They, they are, are they 70. Are the, between those two storylines, it's 80% of the absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Um, but also... One weird thing, a comparison I made is like, this is just EastEnders, but set in, <laughs> because you'll have characters walk into a room or walk into a set. Hi, Jimmy, how are you doing? And then the, a full conversation will play out. The entirety of a conversation, even the incidental stuff like, how's your mum? Oh, I love that meal you made. Oh, how's little Johnny's baseball game? And then the scene will end with them um, saying goodbye, which... In the first hour, I thought was a very good way of um, feeling realistic. It it almost felt like it was trying to be a bit fly on the wall. Yeah, exactly. It it filled out scenes. It made this world feel lived in. The eightieth time it happened, (laughs) I thought, you know, Spike, you don't have to do this for every scene. Yeah, it's also it makes the film very baggy. It absolutely does. It's two hours and twenty minutes. I think he could have started kind of tightening. If it was an hour and forty-five, it could have been a really good movie. If he started tightening the nuts after a while, then then. we would have had something uh, very special. Also, the stories themselves aren't particularly interesting. No. So uh, John Leguizamo, it's a very, um, the Madonna and whore complex. He has these women that he uh, has sex with. But the way he talks about and treats his wife, almost like an infant, you know, there the leads for a lot of great actors uh, and performances. So John Leguizamo and... Um, I forget, uh, I think Alison Milano mm-hmm. uh, played uh, his wife. Both excellent but they did have to walk this kind of very familiar path of a quite a shonky story. And also, Spike Lee has often been accused of not knowing how to uh, write and direct Italian characters. A lot of the characters, the incidental characters, do feel like stick figures, like uh, lots of people saying, get the fuck out of here, yeah, a it million feel, times. It did feel a bit GTA at points. It like, does. Like, like GTA, like lines of people like... There's also that he has the same problem with uh, Jungle Fever. Uh, mm. The Italian subplot of that movie is just people shouting at each other for an hour. And so, yeah, there's a lot to admire. There's a lot to like. There's a lot of performances to like. But the problem is, is that their broiling tensions don't seem so much broiling <laughs> as simmering slightly. Mm. Um, it, it, the stories are never kind of fully realised. I, I think I liked Adrian Brody's story more because of the sort of anger people had towards people who dressed differently but even that was played out with stereotypes like he would shout things like um you're part of the system man mm. you know you know all that kind of stuff which i i guess it's a slightly hypocritical for me to be charmed by boston stranglers you can't handle the truth but be a bit bored by these ones but maybe it's just that was my particular cup of tea i think the thing is i think when spike is obviously normally most of his films are um, you know, they, they have meaning, they say something. And I think he's probably is just stronger when he writes about his own experiences and, you know, his friends' experiences. And he he probably has less of a, a gauge with this, you know, Italian, you might have lots of friends and things, but, you know, 
it's not right when it's not coming from your pure own experience maybe it's that a little bit harder to write and I do think that is an issue with the film and it you know I don't want to say you know don't try and write other people's stories because that's incredibly hypocritical for a white person to say because that's all white people have done for the last well, exactly thousands of years <laughs> um but like it's probably just not playing to his strengths so some of it kind of it doesn't play to his strengths what is there is okay but also the things that he does that his films these days are or he's got a bit better again recently but his films did get baggy they did kind of lose momentum they didn't they they weren't like there wasn't the um the focus and the crispness of something like do the right thing so and and this is almost like one of the first films where you start to see that and you start to see it spinning out and i think if he'd have told a story that was more you know maybe more in his heart um, then maybe it would have been, you know, he didn't live through 1960 or whatever the year it was. Late, uh, late 70s, 77. I mean, if he did, he would have been a very small boy. I'm not quite sure his exact age, but he would have been a very, very small boy or, you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't the, their characters who were meant to be in their early, late teens, early 20s kind of age. And I just think, yeah, maybe he, you know, maybe it just wasn't enough of his own experiences. Um but no, I still enjoyed it. I still liked the fact it shot for the stars. And I still think it was... Obviously, he had a massive fallow period that he started to pull back again with The Five Bloods and Black Handsman, which I know he didn't write, but directed. Um, but he had a really long period of making not very good movies. And I kind of feel like this was maybe... It was kind of like when they... You know, when you get a film that's on the edge between, like, it's still good, but yeah, it, it can either go... It could either be a blip, like it could be a life aquatic, and then it, he, he writes his path, or it could be a... You know, uh, of the village, and then it, the path yes. goes off a cliff. <laughs> because this came just after or he signs. got game, which is uh, really good, mm. and um, actually it came before Twenty Fifth Hour, which is also really good. So the thing with Spike Lee is that he'll have it, it won't so much be a period as it will be good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, 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 good. Oh, bad, 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 good, bad. Good, bad. So, like, uh, you know, it was a pretty long bit of bad. But that, that was that was that his, was the start. Uh, of that the was the start of a, of a chunk of a quite a stretch, actually, about ten years. But then sandwiched, there'd be occasional. Oh, Inside Man's really great. Oh, yeah, but he's a bit like Woody though. Allen in that regards. In the I know not to speak of Woody anymore, but he's a bit like Woody Allen in that regards, where he, um, you know, has. He had, he had a very good period, and then it went good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Then it went bad, 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 good, bad, 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 good, bad, 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 good, good, okay-ish, bad, 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 you know. It causes whiplash, for sure. Yeah, and I think it's like that. Consistently, he was bad for a big patch, so, yeah. And even when he was good, it was kind of like, oh, he's getting back on track. It's not, it's do the right thing. Yes, it's not, this is a masterpiece, at least not until kind of fairly recently where people have really gone in for him. Yeah, I mean, I've got problems with Defy Blood. I actually think, ironically, I think some of the problems in Defy Bloods are quite similar to the problems in this, but that's another story. But I do really, really, really enjoy um, uh, Black Klansman. But then I think these days he's better as a director than he is a scriptwriter. What he'll do now is that he'll often um, so uh, Defy Blood he didn't write, but the script, but he then goes in and mm. makes it personal. So it, yeah. it has a. Um, several screenwriters connected with ands but also ampersands which means different things in screenwriting language if you're connected by an ampersand it means you worked with a writer if it's connected by an and it means that the you two, wrote co-wrote it you, uh, co-wrote it yeah um, so he'll do that now he'll find a script he likes and goes oh I can punch this up and make it personal mm. 
Yeah, no, and I think that maybe is for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think it's probably what makes him a more interesting director now, that he'll find stories rather than kind of write a, a, quite a melange of something mm. that's patchy. Absolutely. But I think that probably brings us to the end of our reviews this week. So I think, it's a bow on it, I think. It, it does indeed. So I think it's time for us to summarise and score, score, score. What was that? I don't know. I was, just, I was trying something new. It didn't work. We'll move on. Um, so <laughs> what do you give um, Boston Strangler? I think... Or what do you think as, about it? As impositive as this sort of seemed in, in the review, the charms of the film, I know that they're built on a house of sort of, um, you know, the just the ropiest cliches. They're just ones I happen to sort of find myself giggling at when I hear them because they're almost so self-parody. So it sounded like I was a bit more enthusiastic than I was, but it's still fairly enthusiastic. I think I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10 um, because I, as a story in itself, and like you said, the first act is a bit ropey, but whenever I hear the clacking of the uh, typewriter keys and then someone going... Loretta, you can't write an article like that. Just give me 24 hours, chief, or editor, or whoever you are. You're a tough cookie. Mm. Well, maybe I'll give you a chance, kids. Just give me one chance. Yes, I already gave you a chance. You know what? I'm starting to like you, kids. It's like something about that just tickles me. And uh, for that, I think I'm going to give it a six, despite all the sort of being too tasteful, for the cinematography sort of just being completely unoriginal, for it being completely unoriginal throughout. There was charm to that, and I like that sort of thing. So six out of ten. For me, none of the acting blew me away. It was, there was lots of good, but nothing blew me away. Um, and I think the key core performance was probably only an average, you know, three out of five. Um, I, the cinematography, I kind of, for somebody who likes that style, thought it was lazy. When you've got, like, stuff on... There's a lot of stuff on TV now that's really well shot. Um, and really interestingly shot, like Mr. Robot's Succession, like just to name a couple, I thought it was quite lazily directed, and that it was it was it, it almost went into David Fincher parody at times. Like if SNL did a David Fincher movie, that's the kind of cinematography well, the whole things thing they would was do. A parody. Yeah, um, and again, yeah, the first half the script was a parody. So although I found it towards the end moderately entertaining and that's what saved this score a little bit i just i don't think it's much of a watch i wouldn't say oh go watch it so i'm gonna give it a four fair enough and callum what did you think of summer of sam i admired the hell out of it but i didn't love it which makes numerical scores like this quite hard for films like this because Mm. there's a lot to dislike but the things that you admire you end up admiring quite a bit. Uh, it might be a similar score, actually, for that reason. Um, I think it might be a 6 out of 10 as well, uh, even though it had its problems. I did find myself kind of enamoured by what it was they were trying to do. And you got some central performances there that, you know, are never going to be a bad time from some very talented actors. So I think a 6 out of 10 as well. It, it, it went for it and, then it, and it fell short. I and mean, you can't hate a film for doing that. Yeah, I I liked its chutzpah. I thought it gave it a good go, gave it the old college try. Um, I really liked the central performances, even if their stories were... I think the performances outperformed the storylines, actually. I think the storylines were pretty basic at oh, times. For sure. uh, and definitely that the storylines were better than that. Uh, sorry, the, the, the acting was better than that. I, 
I, I like it was fun. I actually thought it was fun for a movie about a murderers. It was quite good fun, um, and it, yeah, it, it was a complete mess. But I one that again I found endearing. So I'm probably going to give it a six again. I, it's the same as you actually. I think it, I think it deserves it. I think you know. If I was putting it on an enjoyability scale, I'd probably give it a seven. If I was being really harsh from like a filmmaking scale of five, so I think I've split the difference in a six. Yeah, sounds good. Makes sense. So, yeah, um, I think that is a five out of ten combined score for Boston, Boston Strangler, Strangler, which is, I don't know, it's scrape, scrape watch. We wouldn't be certified yeah. fresh, would it? I don't think with that kind of score. Yeah, the five out of ten, I think that's sort of like, you know, if, if, if you're, you're really, really fancy, struggling. Yeah. <laughs> if you're really struggling for choice... It's, it's it's fine. Fair. Yeah, it's you um, won't hate it. No, and Summer of Sam is a joint six, which is probably a, just a scrape watch. Um, but yeah, neither film is a Oscar contender. Yeah, it's not not the most um, enthusiastic episode ever. But sometimes these middling ones can be quite interesting in that mm. way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much all for listening. Um, have a wonderful week. And, and you can't handle the truth. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.